0: Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. You' been in the trouble before. Can I get an amen? Yeah, people, people come to me sometimes they're like, Pastor, it was like you were speaking right to me. Like, how did you know? I'm like, Man, this is everybody. Everybody says that to me. We only talk about stuff that hopefully deals with what most of us are going through in life. So everybody say this. Everybody say, my big fat mouth. Keyword maybe my, everybody say my, meaning we're not talking about your wife's big fat mouth or your husband's big fat mouth or your kid's big fat mouth or your boss's big fat mouth. We're talking about yeah, that's my big fat mouth. And so, as much as you can, I want you to dial into you today. And last week, if you were not here, real quick, raise your hands. If you were not here last week, slip it up. Alright, go online. You gotta go to mbchurch.tv, go to YouTube channel, whatever, podcast it, go watch it. Cause last week was really, uh, an intro to the whole thing. That that sets the tone. That, that really it says this, that God designed us and made us in His own image and likeness. So we're like God. We're not God. We're like God. In that, we use our words. And the Bible says that death and life somehow is in our words. Our words have creative power and faith-filled power. And so in light of that, our words are so weighty and so valuable and so powerful that they cannot be dismissed. And so, but today though, I want to answer maybe the most important question when it comes to our words. Now, have you ever said something and, and and you caught yourself off guard. You're like, whew, I can't believe I just said that. Have you ever done that before? Woo! I, I can't believe I just said that. Where did that come from, right? And so sometimes in life, we just say a bunch of stuff, and we don't really know where it comes from. As a matter of fact, we have this in our common language, right? You say stuff all the time. They're idioms and isms and things that we say in our American culture, and we just say things, and we have no idea where they came from, right? Does that watch this i'm going to give you a few examples here we'll take a little quiz and see who knows number one here's something that some of us say again been around in america for a long time and so there we go um you ever you ever if you're in sports you're like oh that guy can't hold a candle to you know jimmy garoppolo or you know whatever it is and so anybody ever said that before can't hold a candle what does that even mean what do you can't hold a candle where does anybody know where that comes from It comes from the idea of, back in the day, you had a master and you had an assistant. And do you know who held the candle while the master worked? The assistant. So when you said he can't even hold a candle, he was was saying, you're so worse than the master, you're not even good enough to be the master's assistant. So if you ever wanted to know, where where did that come from? You can't hold a candle. Here's another one. Let's do this one. Hands down. You ever done that? You go to Papa Vito's house. Hands down, best steak I ever had hands hands down. Why are you what are you doing with your hands? What does that even mean? Hands up. Hands down. What does that even mean? Here's what it is. It's an old um, horse riding term. Like if you were a, a, if you did horse racing and you were on the back of a horse, if you blew out the competition and you were so far ahead, you would lay down, you know, the the reins, thank you very much. Whatever, the, whatever that is. And you just, you just put your hands down. You just be like, woohoo! You put your hands down. You are hands down better than everybody else. Isn't that weird? We say all kinds of weird stuff. Don't know what we're even saying. Don't know what we're talking about. Here's another one. Hey, we need to bury the hatchet. You know what I mean? Sometimes your wife would like to bury the hatchet inside of you. But, but sometimes you just got to bury the hatchet. So like you get into a fight with a friend. You're like, hey, we need to make up. We need to bury the hatchet. Y'all, y'all probably know this one. Does anybody know where this comes from? It goes back to like the Indians, like Native American Indians. If they were at fighting at war, even with even with the white settlers or whatever, if they wanted to make peace, they would literally go take a hatchet or a knife and they would bury it together as symbol, symbolism of saying, "Hey, we're not going to fight in war with each other." So that's why you bury the hatchet. Here's another one. Here's he was caught red-handed. You know what I'm talking about? You catch your kid, kids, you know, eating that Halloween candy that you took from them, and then all of a sudden you get, you get chocolate on their fingers. It was like, I caught you red-handed with chocolatey fingers. This is what it was. It was way back in the day. If you were to steal or to kill somebody else's animal, English law said that the only way you could prosecute them is if you caught them with the blood still on their hands. So they were literally caught red-handed. That's weird. Just a couple more here. You ever give somebody the cold shoulder? Yeah. You know what I mean? You're, you know, you made your wife mad and she's like, she gives you the cold shoulder. Here's where this comes from. This is nuts. This is, this is where it comes from. Back in the day, if you had a dinner party and you were ready for your guests to leave, you would give them the shoulder part of like a pork chop or a mutton or some type of piece of meat. It was your way of saying, all right, you gotta go now. This is your, t- this is your doggy bag. Get out of my house. And you would literally give piece- people a cold piece of the shoulder of the meat. Uh, isn't that weird? He gave, gave me the cold shoulder because we almost think of it like, it's icy back there. You know, I don't even know what we do. We just make stuff up. All right. One more. You go, the, he went the whole nine yards. Anybody know what this one's from? No, that, no, it's not golf either. It's, it's an old uh, air fighter term. You had, when you were a, a, fi- a fighter pilot in a fighter jet, you would go up into the air and you had nine yards of ammunition. Like nine yards worth of bullets. And so if you went and fought and you ran out of ammunition, you went the whole nine yards. And so now we are all smarter people for having been at church. Now, we're going to get deep in a second, but just just this alone, we could probably pray and say, oh, I learned something today. And so, uh, but this is what we do, though. You, again, we have all kinds, and I could do more, but I could, we have all these sayings, and then you think, where does that even come from? You ever ask yourself, like, where does that come from? Well, now we know it came from somewhere. Now, here's what I need you to know. When Jesus talks about your words and your mouth and your tongue and the things that you say, he actually challenges you to ask the same exact question and ask yourselves, where did that come from? Who? I just said something mean. I said something hurtful. I lied. I was gossiping about somebody. And you know, how many times in life when you were a kid, your mom would just tell you to stop saying that. Right? If mama caught you, you know, saying something mean, remember what mama would say? If you can't say something nice. Apparently our mothers got together, told us all the same things. But so, so many times in life we're said, hey, don't say that. Don't talk like that to your mother. Hey, don't use those words. Jesus never says that. He's like, rather than saying, don't say that. The more profound thing that you can actually do is ask yourself the question, where did that come from? Where, where did that come from? Watch what he says. This is so profound. Luke chapter 6, verse 45 it says that a good man or woman out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Let me say it again for out of the abundance, Of the heart, the mouth speaks. He uses two kind of ideas here. The first one is treasure. Everybody say treasure. He almost makes you think like, okay, well, my heart is like a treasure chest and I got some stuff in there. And then what happens is, is that I open my mouth or I open my treasure chest and stuff just keep coming out. And whatever I put in there is what comes out of there. And then he uses the word abundance. Everybody say abundance. Abundance. The idea of like an overflow. It means like I got a bunch of stuff that I stuff down in my heart. I collect it. Maybe I watch it on TV. I listen to it through music. It came from my mother. It comes through all the things that I think about. But I got a bunch of stuff in my heart and eventually it just bubbles up and it overflows. And out of the abundance or the overflow of my heart, my mouth just says something. And every once in a while we're like, I said something crazy. And just so you know, I'm a pastor and you would think maybe I'm better at this than you. I'm not. I'm not. I'm preaching from experience right now. I have a wealth of bad things or dumb things or foolish things that I've said. And I don't know if you're like me, but this is the way I am. Every once in a while, I will have a flashback of something terrible that I said. And I will almost for a split second relive it. And I will have like the cringy gut punch feeling of like, oh, my, you know, like you throw up in your mouth. Oh. I can't believe I said that. And the the worst part is, is that I'm, have to, I'm having to confront the reality of what Jesus said and be like, when I said that, it wasn't like a whoopsie-daisy. It came from somewhere. What Jesus is saying is that if I have a mouth problem, it's because I actually have a heart problem. And so if I'm saying things, I need to be incredibly careful that I'm, I'm aware that it came from somewhere. I don't know if you've ever done this before, there's a terrible experience that we all for the most part have. It's going to the doctor for just a checkup. It's a very painful and uncomfortable experience because they make you go into a room called a waiting room and you wait a long time. Then they say the doctor's ready to see you and only for you to go into a room and get really uncomfortable down to your undies and then put on that gowny thing they make you wear. And then it's cold and then you just sit in there waiting and it's not the waiting room, but you're still waiting. And then the doctor comes in and starts examining things. You know, he starts poking and prodding and you know remember the thing where he bop you on the knee to see if your knee still worked, if you had reflexes or not? And they check your eyes, they check your ears, but you do remember what they did to you when they checked your mouth? They would stick that thing in your mouth and say, open up and say. Yeah, open up and say, ah, show me your tongue, open up and say, ah. And the reason why they do that is because in the medical world, the tongue is a diagnostic. They're looking for stuff because there's, there's all kinds of weird, gross stuff. I'm not going to get into the details of it, but you know, if there's bumps on there for it's kind of white and hairy, or if it's kind of just inflated or, you know, there's all kinds of weird things. And literally they can detect from your tongue, whether you have maybe certain diseases or infections or vitamin deficiencies. And so the doctor wants to know, open up and say, ah, I need to look at your tongue because your tongue will actually tell me about the internal health of your whole system. Do you know what Jesus was saying 2,000 years ago? Open up and say, ah, give me some of your words. I want to listen to what's coming out of your mouth because the tongue is a diagnostic. I will be able to know about the internal health of your heart Just by examining the words that come out of your mouth. Because your words, they just didn't come from nowhere. They came from somewhere. And Jesus said they came from the treasure trove of your heart. That there's something in there. And if bad stuff, evil stuff, destructive things are coming out of your mouth. Here's another way to put it. If there's something destructive on your tongue, then there is something broken in your heart. You tracking with me? So I started thinking about... How does the Bible talk about all the, the crazy stuff that we say? You know, the Bible has a lot to say about what we might call sins of the tongue or, or the brokenness or the corruption of our tongue or the destructive words that we speak. And I start thinking, where where do these things really come from? Because God, if I'm saying these things, I don't want that stuff in my heart. So here's, here's one. Here's six tongues uh, or destructive uses of the tongue we'll talk about today. Number one is this. Everybody say complaining. Have you ever noticed that that's just the way that we use our words? You ever been around somebody that just complains about everything? It's annoying. And if that's you, Jesus loves you, but you're annoying. Okay? It's not about God's love. God dearly loves you, but you're getting up on our nerves because you complain about everything. And it's no fun to be around complainers. Have you ever met people that like, no matter what, like if it's cold outside, like, oh, it's too cold. Then all of a sudden, later in the day, it's hot. Oh, it's too hot. What? You know, like, I I counsel people, right? So I'll talk to single people. You know you know what single people say? Oh, I just wish I was married. I wish I could find someone. There's no one out there. I just want to find someone. Then I talk to married people. Oh my gosh, marriage. She is crazy, Todd. Do you, Todd, do you know who I'm married Do you know who my husband is? And it's like, single people complain about single? Married people complain about being married? You ever... You know what the worst is? Slow internet connection. That's the worst. I don't even care. You can love Jesus with all your heart. If there's bad Wi-Fi, you're complaining. I would. I just, I don't even care anymore. Um, you ever complain about work? Complain about your boss? Complain about your neighbor? Complain about your government, complain about the president, complain about Congress, complain about your personal finances, complain about something. You just find something to complain about. And here's the problem with complaining. Studies have showed that complaining is actually an addictive nature. Now you wouldn't think of it that way. It's not like a substance abuse, but you actually become addicted to complaining. What studies show is, is that the more you complain, the more your brain becomes hardwired just to complain all the more. It's like you're a muscle. It's like you've got a complaining muscle and you're at the gym seven days a week working that bad boy out. And you're like, look at what I'm really good at in life. I'm good at complaining, you know? And so, and all that really means is to everyone else, you've just gotten really good at being annoying. Listen to this. Paul says this. So he challenges the idea of this annoying behavior. He says, Do everything. Everybody say everything. I didn't write this stuff, I just read it. Do everything without grumbling. Or, or if you looked at it in the Greek, it literally is murmuring. Murmuring. Even the word sounds mur- murmuring. You're just complaining. You grumble about everything. Everything's bad. Everything's negative. Woe is you. And what happens is you've become an expert in pointing out what's wrong about everything in life. And it's actually become an addictive behavior. It actually creates a level of confirmation bias so that now anytime you go anywhere or do anything, you just find the thing to complain about. And the apostle Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You do everything without grumbling or complaining. That's a disease of the tongue. It's a diagnostic. And here's the reality of it. If you asked yourself that profound question, well, wait a minute. Okay, I'm a complainer because my wife told me, you know, I'm a complainer. Where did that come from? The answer is this. Complaining and the root of complaining comes from an ungrateful spirit, an ungrateful heart. If you just think about it logically, what happens is, is that in any environment, in any moment, I can find what's not great or what's bad or what's what, I, I can just find something to complain about. But grateful people, they seem to find the silver lining in everything. They find what's good about everything. And what, And if you're not naturally like this, let me help you with how to achieve this. Because I'm not naturally like this either. I had to work at this and here's what I did. You have to learn how to practice gratitude. Here's what that would look like. This is what I did. Figure out your own journey, steal from me, whatever you want to do. Every time I found myself complaining, what I did was, is if I could catch it, I would stop and say, nope, I'm not going to do that, and here's what I would begin to do. I would force myself to just make the most creative list possible of everything I could thank God for. I'm like, nope, no, 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 I'm not doing that, I'm not going to go down that road, I'm not going to hardwire my brain, I'm not going to become that annoying person, I'm not going to do it. God, I thank you for this, and I would just I would just see how long I could go, how creative my list could be. Listen to this. This is powerful. This is what David said. David basically is creating his own list, and he says it like this. He goes, praise the Lord, my soul, the inner part of my being where all that complaining comes from, and never forget all of God's benefits. I'm reminding myself, like, don't forget this. He forgives all my sins. He heals my diseases. He redeems my life from the pit and crowns my life with love and compassion. He satisfies the desires that I have with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. It was just David's way of saying, I'm going to practice gratitude so I don't become a complaining person. And so anyway, that's just one of them. That's the one. Everybody say complaining. So I gotta get that out of my mouth so that I don't become something that, that is destructive in life. Because you will, as much as we talked about being annoying, you will eventually wear people down with constant complaining. But here's another one. Everybody say gossip. Yeah, we're very familiar with this one. The Bible talks about this, has a lot of different Bible verses on how gossip is not good. But here, here's the funny thing about gossip. <laughs> There's some, the medical science that shows that when they study people gossiping, that their body actually released certain hormones in their body, right? Like, give me a good, juicy piece of information, and then let me share that, right, with somebody else. And literally, you were releasing these chemicals in your body, and again, it gives you almost a little bit of a high Now think about that, because you've gossiped before, we all have, and there is something a little bit exciting and exhilarating, and we get kind of a high out of being able to share some good, juicy, crazy information about somebody else's life. And so again, what what that's showing us is, is this is almost like complaining is addictive to our mind. Gossip is this almost emotional feeling that we get when we gossip. It's so strange. And so, again, if you just ask yourself, hey, where did that come from? Where does gossip come from? It's the need for attention. Because when we gossip, all eyes are on us, all ears are on us. We are the ones that are holding all the information, and information is power. And we leverage it. We hurt people's reputation. We betray people. Here's the other thing too, we talk about this often, is that the problem with being a gossip is, is that you can't actually engage in long-term healthy relationships. Because eventually you gossip about everybody around you, they're all eventually annoyed and mad at you, or you just gossip so much that the people that are listening to you in the back of their head, they just wonder... What do they say about me when I'm not around? And so all of a sudden, you're just like, you're, 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 you're pushing away your distance. And so beyond the fact that you're hurting other people, you're actually hurting yourself as you push people away through gossip. And so just be incredibly careful. Here's another one, very common. Everybody say lying. There was a study that they showed, uh, how much do people lie? How often do people really lie? Anybody out there like, no, I'm, I'm a good lie. Anybody, no, church. Um, research found that most people lie at least once or twice a day. I find that interesting. I feel like I don't lie that much. I'm going to have to pay more attention. Maybe I'm under the curve. Almost as often as they uh, snack from the refrigerator or brush their teeth, you might lie. Both men and women lie approximately a fifth of their social exchanges lasting 10 or more minutes. So if you've been in a conversation for 10 or more minutes, apparently you have maybe slipped in a little, little, just a little white lie. And this is the other thing. Furthermore, some types of relationships, such as those between parents and teens, are virtual magnets for deceptions. College students lie to their mothers in one out of every two conversations. Because <laughs> you know at college you are up to so much that your mother would not be proud of. So you just have to lie about a bunch of stuff. And so anyway, we know, but we know lying is destructive. Listen to this. There are six things that the Lord hates. This is Solomon. Seven, they're detestable. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict within the community. So out of the six and seven things, two of them are lying. Why? What is the, again, what's the deal? And if you ever ask yourself the question, where did that come from? Let's just be honest. Again, you don't have to raise your hand or elbow your, your spouse or friend or anybody like that, but like ask yourself, where did that come from? Why did I lie? Have you ever noticed where did that come from? It's all you lie for many different reasons. Have you ever noticed? Sometimes you just lie to protect your own ego. You're like, I don't want to tell anybody about my failure and what I went through, so I'll just lie. I'm trying to protect my ego. Fear of being in trouble. This is where we all started out as liars, right? When you were a kid, you're like, I don't want to get in trouble. Did you break that? No. Why? You just try not to get in trouble, so you protect. And you do it all the time now too. You know, if a police officer asked you, you know. No, sir, you know, what? Just, just lie. Trying to hurt someone, sometimes you lie, and this is what Solomon was saying as a false witness, you lie just to hurt somebody else. So last one, I just want people to like me. I just really want people to like me, so I lie about myself so that they're more likely to like me. Again, there's probably more. I just came up with what was off the top of my head here. Why do I lie? Where does that come from? What kind of, what kind of, ugh, is in my heart that would make me want to lie. Here's another one. Criticism. This is a little bit like complaining. But usually it has to do with people. So we're not just complaining about our circumstances. We're criticizing people. We're taking you and judging you and condemning you and speaking maybe negative things towards you. Where where does that come from? We'll speed it up a little bit. Where does that come from? Criticism. Well, it's either arrogance because sometimes we criticize because we think we're better than everybody else. Because I'm better and I'm looking down at you small little peons. Let me tell you how you ought to live your life. Or sometimes it's just insecurity. Like, it's, I'm insecure, and I'm afraid that you are getting ahead. And so if I'll just make a chippy little comment, maybe I can just bring you back down to my level. Here's another one, yelling. Any yellers out there want to own that? Yeah, I yell. I, you know what? I understand because I came from a family that yells, and I normalized it. I just thought yelling was just how you communicated. In my family, if you weren't yelling, you weren't loving. Can I get an amen? Anybody like that? Yeah. So I was like, here, I'm just, we just yell. And then we're like, I'm not yelling. You know, (laughs) you, you are, you're yelling. You're a yeller. So, so I've had to like work that out. Like try not to be a yeller. You know where yelling comes from? Yelling comes from this. Where did that come from? It comes from my anger. Like when I'm angry, I yell, but there's also something deeper in there. Like I need control. If you ever watch when you're yelling, More than likely, you feel like you're losing control. And if I yell, I'll take power back. I'll just get louder. Where where did that come from? Hurtful words. We say hurtful words, just mean things. Again, this is kind of like goes along the lines with with critical, but sometimes we just say hurtful, hurtful things. You know where that comes from? It comes from this. I'm hurt. I'm hurt. I'm a broken person. I'm hurt. You're hurting because hurt people hurt people. So I'm going to hurt you because I'm hurt and we're all going to just hurt together. And so, so it just gets round and around. There's a bitterness. There's an unforgiveness. There's a pain inside of us. And so we speak out of our own pain. And many times we speak those painful words. The big walk away is this, is when destructive things come out of my mouth, it proves that there is something broken in my heart. So now that I've convicted us all, we all feel really bad about all the dumb things that we say. Let's lean into the redemptive work of Christ. Because here's the deal. Jesus does not leave you hanging. He doesn't say, oh yeah, the reason why you got crazy mouth is because you got crazy heart. Good luck with that. And walk away. No, no, Jesus is there. Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll get into the fire with you. When you got crazy mouth, I'm loving you. I'm pulling you. I'm drawing you. The Holy Spirit's at work, maybe convicting or convincing or drawing you. And so here's the big question. Jesus, if I've got crazy mouth because I've got a crazy heart, or if I've got a broken mouth because I've got a broken heart, Jesus, how how do I heal my heart? And the answer is, is, I don't think you can heal your own heart. Just like I don't think you can perform your own surgery. That's probably not wise to even attempt. The answer is this. So how do I let Jesus heal my heart? Number one is this. This is just my experience. How do I let Jesus heal my heart is this. I let the love of God fill my heart. It, it, it all begins. I think everything begins with this overwhelming revelation of the love of God. When I am so aware and blown away by an epiphany just. And it pops. Oh my, I can't believe the love of God. The love of God that washes over me. Because here's here's some things you need to think about the love of God. The love of God makes no sense. The love of God is unconditional. What that means is this. I love usually conditionally, right? Like if I get my way, we're good, you know? If you don't totally, you know, offend me, we're, we're good. And Jesus says, no, no, no. My love is unconditional because it's just who I am. I can't even help it. You ever met somebody like that? They were just... I can't even help it. This is who I am. That's how God is. God is love, so he just can't help it. And his love towards you, it's unconditional, meaning it's not based on your performance. Can I get an amen? Did you fail today? Jesus still loves you. Did you win today? Jesus still loves you. Did you perform good today? Jesus still loves Hey, did you blow it with your words today? Jesus still loves you. Because he wants the love of God kind of like invades your heart. Then all of a sudden what happens is that the love of God so fills that treasure chest in your heart that it pushes out all the other garbage that ought to be in there from the things of your past and the things of this world and the destructive things that we've experienced in this life. And the love of God just kind of pushes it out. I basically so shoved so much of God's love into my treasure chest that there's just not a lot of room for other things. His love is unconditional. His love is perfect. It's absolutely perfect. Like, again, I don't love perfectly. Kids, I love y'all, but I don't love y'all perfectly. I wish I could. I don't. So this is what I tell my kids all the time. I'm like, look, daddy's going to screw this up, right? So what you need to know is, is that no matter what you tell your counselor in 10 years, just know that I love you, right? Because all your kids gonna be a counseling in 10 years. You can't even help it. You're, you're human, but I love you. It wasn't my intention. I absolutely love you. That's how I love. God loves in full perfection. Meaning his love is so balanced with perfect wisdom, perfect timing, perfect justice, perfect patience. It's just, it's just perfect. It's, it's without any flaws. His love is uncomparable. Like you can't even compare God's love. It's impossible to. It's like, if you have like a really rich friend and like you exchange gifts And the best you could do was buy him a coffee cup. And they bought you, you know, a car. Like, wow, my gift is kind of lame in comparison. This is how your love works. Your love to God's love is incomparable. Because when he gave of himself and sent himself into the world to live and die on our behalf, he threw down the trump card that said, no one can love like this. You cannot give anything greater or bigger than that which, which was Jesus the Christ. You can't beat it. I just threw down the trump card. Now I don't want you to live for God's love. I just want you to experience it and then live from God's love. That's good. Watch this. First John chapter 4. If you could put this on the screen, this is something I've been thinking about and meditating on. It's one of those scriptures that you can just dwell on for a while. But listen to what this is what John said. He goes, Dear friends, let us love one another. Even with our words, let us love one another for love comes from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. It's not just an attribute that he has. It's the nature of who he is. And this is how God showed us his love among us. That he sent his one and only son, the trump card, into the world that we might live through him. So that we might even speak through him. And the love of God, it fills my heart or it fills my treasure chest. And hopefully, the love of God is so abundant in my heart that when my heart overflows out of my mouth, what comes out of my mouth is no longer the destructive things. It's actually the love and the compassion, and the kindness of God. So if you ever wanted to let Jesus heal your heart, it begins with an incredible And an epiphany, a powerful understanding and revelation of the love of God. Number two is this. Number two is forgiveness extended cleanses my heart. See, sometimes what you have to recognize is is that, remember what John said, he goes, it's not enough for you to receive the love of God. That's why we actually give the love of God. It's just overflowing in us. And the love of God, when it overflows to people around us, it's expressed through forgiveness. Like, so holding on to forgiveness is literally saying, "Mm, I'm going to put some bitterness down in my treasure chest. And later when I speak, I'm going to let that just bubble on out. And that's where that bitterness, that's where that hurtful words, that's where the complaining and the criticism and the destructive words come from. Many times it comes from our own hurt and our own unforgiveness that we buried down deep in our heart. And so listen to this. When I accept forgiveness from, from God, I am free. I'm set free from my sin. Aren't we glad this morning that Jesus extends forgiveness towards us? But here's the deal. When I extend forgiveness, I'm set free from their sin. I want you to be set free. I want your treasure chest emptied of all the hurt and all the bitterness and all the wounds. And the way that that happens is, is, number one, the love of God hits my life, but then I extend forgiveness out and it cleanses my heart. Number three is this last one and we'll close is number three, confession heals my heart. Confession heals my heart. How many grew up Catholic? Went to a Catholic church? Catholic background people? I don't mean go get in a box. And tell somebody else what you did and then dump out your sin bucket. That's not what I'm saying. Because we normally think about confessing to God. And that's really, really, really good. But here's the thing. Most of the time that we need to confess is because we did something wrong. We hurt somebody. So the idea is in scripture is not that you go and confess to God, although that's good. But it's actually that you co-confess to other people. And watch what happens when you confess. Listen to this, James The brother of Jesus said this. He goes, therefore, confess your sins to who? No, there's no box. Just people. Just, did you, did you hurt somebody? Did you say something crazy? Did you take your crazy mouth and spill it onto somebody else? Okay. If we did, James says, I want you to take that and confess that sin to each other. And then I want you to pray for each other so that you may be what? I want you to be healed. If there's something broken in my heart, Jesus, how do you heal my heart? Well, the love of God, it fills my heart. The, the forgiveness kind of cleanses it. It, it gets like I'm going to get the bitterness out. I'm going to cleanse that through forgiveness. But then sometimes I even want to let the healing happen by me looking at another person and say, you know, what, I wronged you and I am so sorry. Would you please forgive me if you have the guts and the courage to go look at another person who you wronged? And say, you know, I was so wrong. I can't believe I said that to you. Would you please forgive me? Watch. Pay attention. You will literally feel something take place on the inside of you. It's almost as if something starts to melt away from you. Maybe it's that pride. Maybe it's that ego. Maybe it's just that sinfulness coming out. But I'm telling you, when you go confess, and the guts and the courage that it requires to do that, and when you confess, man, I'm telling you, it's just something kind of... Some starts to get out. Some starts to heal. Certain, certain things start to strengthen. I'm just telling you, it's a unique and it's a powerful experience. And so here's what I want you to do right now. I want you to bow your heads and I want you to close your eyes. Let's, let's have a moment of introspection real quick here. When you think about the things that come out of your mouth, the destructive things at least, the things that Jesus might call sinful, destructive, hurtful, Maybe it's some type of lying or gossip or criticism or complaining. What is it that that makes your list? What is it that you struggle with? What is it that you say? You know what, Todd? I know I deal with this. I'm a complainer, or no? I deal with this. I have a weird thing. I lie. Just I just in the moment, it's just compulsive. I just lie. What 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 is your thing? Because the most profound thing that I can give you today is not to tell you don't do that. I think we all kind of know that one already. Jesus didn't say, don't do that. I think what he poses is the idea that we should dig deeper and ask ourselves a question. Where did that come from? And if it came out of a broken heart, I don't want to live like that. I don't want to live with a broken heart. I don't want to live with something wrong in my heart. But he said something so profound. He goes, no, no, your tongue is a diagnostic. I can tell about the health of of your insides based on the words that you speak. God, where am I unhealthy? Where is there something maybe broken in my heart? And God, would you let your love so fill my heart that it would maybe drive out what doesn't belong there? God, is there some type of hurt or bitterness that I've shoved down in my heart and I've buried in my treasure chest? And God, is there someone that I need to forgive so that I might not be bitter and speak bitter words? God, is there somebody that I've wronged? And I need to go and confess, ask for their forgiveness. And in doing so, let you heal my heart. God, help me to be a person that so speaks the love of God, the grace of God, the kindness of God, the compassion of God. God, let me speak out of a whole and healed heart. Lord, that is my prayer today. And it is in your name that I ask this. In Jesus' mighty name, we all said, amen. Will you give the Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.